The scripture lesson today is from Matthew chapter 5, the good news, the Sermon on the Mount. Let's share in God's good word together. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one after lighting a lamp puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Jesus is concerned not only with what people believe, but also with what we do. Praying, fasting, and giving to the poor are not just good ideas to be considered. They are for Jesus and for his Jewish listeners commandments to be followed. Jesus is particularly concerned when our words and our actions don't match. Jesus is most concerned with what we call hypocrisy, where our hearts and our heads are not operating in harmony. We remember that more than our words or even more than our actions, God is most concerned with our hearts, our character, who we really are and who we are becoming. I love the story about a little boy who went to the synagogue and prayed aloud the first three letters of the Hebrew alphabet. That's all he knew. And when the rabbi asked what the little boy was doing, he said, I don't know the prayers and I can't read, but if I just say the letters, God puts the prayer together for me. I don't know the prayers and I can't read, but if I just say the letters, God puts the prayer together for me. I've certainly been there where I didn't have the words and God had to put the prayer together for me. He'll do the same for you. Friends, wherever you are today, God is ready to meet you right where you are, right now. God knows your address and is more ready to hear than you are even to pray. Jesus is teaching us to do what we can do and to trust God to do what only God can do. Our life in Christ is never for show, never for selfishness, and never for harm. This week, Jesus, in his own words, teaches us how to pray and what God really expects when we help others. So, we're continuing our sermon series, Jesus in His Own Words. That's the Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the mountain. And, of course, his disciples followed him, and a crowd began to gather. So, in week one of our series, we learned this, that the kingdom of heaven is where what God wants done is done. Would you say that with me? The kingdom of heaven is where what God wants done is done. And that's in contrast to the kingdoms of earth, my kingdom and your kingdom, where what we want done is done. Dr. Amy Jill Levine, who is the uh, professor of New Testament and Jewish studies at Vanderbilt Divinity School, uh, Pastor Brandon's uh, professor, um, she says it like this. Heaven is a different place, a better place, a real place, a place where God rules and life is as God wants rather than as humanity has constructed. Friends, heaven is a real place and it's available to you right here, right now, today. That's what we learned in week one. In week two, Jesus begins to show us what that real community looks like. Jesus sets up an ideal community with God as loving father of us all. And so he begins to show us how to live into those values. If we all have one God, one Father, then you and I are brothers and sisters in Christ. And we learn how to love one another and care for one another. And even if our family of origin, our own family system, doesn't match that of God, God's kingdom supersedes that. The kingdom of heaven is real. And those values and that love and that peace and that mercy 
and that camaraderie of us living together in harmony, that's what God is looking for. That's what Jesus is looking for, for us each to treat each other as brother and sister in this new kingdom. And so as a way to do that, Jesus provides new fences, new um, guidelines, if you will, for living into the reality of the kingdom of heaven. And he says, so if we're going to live in this way, if we really are all going to be brothers and sisters, then it's not enough just to try not to commit adultery. Uh, we also have to back that out, build a fence around adultery to where we're also learning how not to lust after other people's stuff or one, one another people's relationships. We have to learn how to not just not murder, but to back that fence out before we get angry and to, and to reconcile quickly if we are angry so that doesn't lead to insult or to injury or contempt or to un, uh, unfounded criticism. So we're building fences around these things like violence. It's no longer just an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth, but, but we're going to actually be a blessing to those who would persecute us or even those we might consider enemies. And so Jesus is showing us what is possible and what it looks like to live in this new kingdom of heaven. And so Dr. Levine puts it this way. She says, to be a disciple means less about believing in a set of propositions and more about acting upon God's word as interpreted by Jesus. Um, another way of saying this would be, it's our way of putting on the yoke of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus, our rabbi, to, to walk behind him and to take on his way of life. It's not just a set of principles or values or propositions, but to actually live into them and to learn how to do that. Um, even if it's new and even if we do it stumbling, there's a new world that we're living in. It's called the kingdom of heaven. It's where what God wants done is done and it's available to you right now and it goes on forever. And one day we'll get to see it um, in its perfection. And uh, we'll get to be at a place where we sit at the Lord's table and no one's hungry and no one's too full uh, and no one's worried about who's going to do the dishes because we've learned to live together in harmony. And I'd submit to you that it's easier to live in that kingdom after we die if we know how to live in it right now. It'll just make the transition easier. I want to recommend it to you. So this week, Jesus reminds us who we are in this new kingdom. He says that we are salt and we are light. And if you've been a part of our community uh, for much time at all, you know that this is a really important statement of Jesus to us, his followers. Jesus says this in Matthew 5, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? Notice that he doesn't say you're the salt of heaven uh, or you're the salt of, of the angels. No, no. This is a reality right here, right where you live. You are the salt, the seasoning, uh, the preserver, uh, the enhancer of life right here on this earth. You are the salt of the earth. Um, and if we're not going to be salty, then, then we're, it's of no use, right? We are, we are salt. He's not saying it's a nice metaphor. He says you are. It is a command, right? It's, it's, it's not a command. It's a fact, right? So it's, it's not something that we're trying to live into. He's like, it is the case. In the same way that you are blessed because you live in the kingdom, because you're a part of the kingdom, you are salt. It is now your nature to be a, a person that blesses others, uh, that enhances life itself. So you are the salty of the earth. It's not a command, but a fact. He says, you are salt, you are light. He's not saying try harder to be salt. He's not saying try harder to be light. He says, you are salt and light. So, what are some things we know about salt in Jesus' day in the first century and in our own? Well, salt then and now was and is a preservative. Um, and that's good. You are salt. You are to be preservers of life. Salt is a seasoning, right? And so it makes things taste better. It just makes life go better. 
And so in, in first century Judaism and in this uh, day and age, we are to be people who bring life, who enhance life, um, who make life more colorful, more, jo more joyful. And salt, quite frankly, is needed for life. It's really important in your very makeup that you have to have some salt content in your very body to live. But here's the thing about salty. Have you ever had something that was too salty? If, if you try to overdo it, that's bad too. So we remember that the salt is never about us. It's about flavoring other people's lives for good. So salt is never the main dish. Say that with me. Salt is never the main dish. You ever sit down to a plate of salt? I hope not. That would be terrible, right? It's never the main dish. It simply makes things better. You ever have McDonald's fries? They're better with salt. It just is. Salt's never the main dish. Salt makes things better better. And that's who you are. That's your nature now, Jesus says. You are salt. It is your nature to make the world a better place. And then he says, you are light. So Dr. Levine would put it this way. She says, the disciples do not exist to show off their taste or color. They exist not for themselves, but for the world. The disciples are to season, to color, to make more alive the world. Their very presence is a blessing. Now, wouldn't that be great if somebody said that about you, that um, they don't need you to do anything. They just want your presence because your presence is such a blessing in their life. They simply want you around because you make life better when you're in the room. That's who we are to be. So some other things we know about salt. Salt was and is today valuable. The monthly payment to Roman soldiers was called a salarium. That's the root word is from sal there, uh, which is where we get our word salt. And it, this, this payment was made in salt. It, it was a valuable commodity in Jesus' day. And so when they would make their payments to Rome, it was made in salt. And so Jesus is saying, you as a disciple, you as a follower, you are valuable and you are meant. And it is your nature to enhance and bless the world. And so in the same way that we live in the new blessed community of heaven, right? Our nature has changed. So when Jesus says, you are blessed because you live in the kingdom, you are blessed even if people persecute persecute you. You are blessed when people say bad things about you. You are blessed, not by those things, but even in spite of those things, you are blessed. And Jesus says, you are salt. Your very nature has changed. As you live in the kingdom, you're not the person you used to be. You're now a new person of blessing and of peace. You are salt. You are light. You are blessed, Jesus says. And so it's not just salt, but it's also light. We now walk in the light of Jesus. He says, you are light. In the Gospel of John, it says this. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. And when Jesus comes to live in you, then you too are the light of the world. And he says, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. Say that with me. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. When Christ comes into your life, you now have light where there used to be darkness. You can see things that you couldn't see before, both things of joy and things of, uh-oh, I didn't know that about myself, or I didn't know that was not the right way to live. But now you do because of the light of Christ. And here's the thing about salt and light. They never point to themselves. They're always pointing and enhancing life for the community, for the whole, to be a blessing to the world. So salt and light do not point to themselves. They're not meant for themselves. So Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. Perhaps you've heard this. We close every sermon and, and, and worship service with this um, scripture. Every, every time we gather as a community, we are sent out as salt and light. 
And so how do we live into this? Uh, the next thing I want to talk about is in Matthew 6, where Jesus shows you how to live in the blessed community and how to live as salt and light. And it comes with a warning and it comes with instructions on how to give to charity. It's, that was a core commandment of the Jewish faith and how to pray. And, and Jesus says there are ways to do that wrongly. Uh, you're like, really? How do you pray wrongly or how do you give to the poor wrongly? Well, you can. And Jesus is going to give us a warning about that. But then he also shows us how to do it. So in Matthew 6, on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this. He says, beware, be careful of practicing your piety, your good works, before others in order to be seen by them. Now, it's that in order that's so important. Because if you do something good for somebody and somebody happens to see you, that's okay. You don't, you don't have to run around in the shadows trying to do good work. But if you're doing that in order to be seen... That's just gross. Don't do that. I mean, it, no, nobody likes that. And you won't even like yourself after you do it. So here's the thing. It's about the in order to be seen by them. For then you have no reward from your Father in heaven. You know, you've, you've already gotten the award. You've already gotten the recognition. So, so you don't have to worry about that. I, Dallas Wheeler is really helpful to me on this. He says it like this. He says, it is not, are we seen doing a good deed? That's okay. But are we doing a good deed in order to be seen? And I think Dallas is just exactly right about that, right? It, it's not, are we seen doing a good deed, but are we doing a good deed in order to be seen? You see, in the Jewish tradition, supporting the poor is a central commandment. Uh, it was at the very center of their faith. Uh, they had all kinds of laws around that. Like even in the agricultural community, they would not uh, harvest the edges of the field so that there was food for the poor. Uh, and, and there was no shame in that. They would simply leave it and whoever needed it could get it. And so if you go all the way back to the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy 15, it says this, Give liberally and be ungrudging when you do so. For on this account, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all that you undertake. Since there will never cease to be some in need. The poor is always with us, Jesus says. There, you know, there, there will never be some in need on the earth. Never cease to be some in need on the earth. I therefore command you, read it with me, Open your hand to the poor and needy neighbor in your land. We are to be generous with those in need. And we're to do that in a way that doesn't embarrass them and gives dignity to everyone in the situation. Now, there was a great Jewish teacher by the name of Maimonides, and he had eight levels of charity. Uh, one being the lowest, all the way up to eight being, uh, you know, if you were to, to do charity work, um, you know, perfectly, just very, very, very well. So, unfortunately, we all know, number one, the lowest form of charity is we don't do it. We're simply unwilling. And, and, and you get this. You're at work, and somebody's kid or grandkid is selling popcorn or cookies or candy or some other trinket for school, and you've just had enough. You, you don't have time to order it or fool with it. You don't need it. You don't want it. And so they say, hey, you know, it'd really be nice if, you know, you, you got some popcorn from Bobby and you just go, no, I don't, I don't even like popcorn. I'm not doing it. Well, guess what? There's no generosity of heart or mind or life there. You're simply unwilling. And so that's, that's the lowest level. And sometimes if we're honest, we find ourselves there because we're tired or we're cranky or we've forgotten the many blessings in our life. And so we're just unwilling. 
The second uh, form is just a little bit higher than that, and that is that we're willing, you know, we'll do it, but it's really inadequate for the need. And so in church life, we call this tippers versus tithers. Um, you might have been in this place in your life at some point. They pass the plate uh, at church and you throw in a dollar or two. And you know, and everybody else around you knows, that that's really probably not going to do much, uh, given the fact that you've got a six-figure income and a house uh, that's a mansion, and you're just throwing these little tips at God. Um, you know, you're, you're willing because you're, you're in, a bunch, in front of a bunch of other people and you don't want to look, you know, too bad in front of them, so you throw in a couple bucks. Um, but friends, let, let's just know that your heart's not anywhere close to right on that deal. You know that, I know that. If that's where you're starting... Hey, that's okay. It's really great if you're in elementary school, that'd be fine. Uh, but as an adult, that's not a mature faith. That's certainly not ma mature in charitable giving by, any, by a long shot. The third level, um, this great teacher says, is to give only after being asked. And, and that's a pretty normal thing in our culture, uh, is that, hey, I'll, I'll give, but they need to come ask me. But now you're starting to see the picture. Because when you force somebody's hand to ask you for something, you're, you're showing the, the power differential. You're making them come to you to ask for the blessing or ask for the gift. And sometimes that could be an embarrassment to them uh, or be less than a dignified way of, of forcing their hand to get just basic things that they would need. So yeah, you'll give, but you're not going to give unless they ask you. Uh, but that's still better than just throwing a couple of bucks at them. And it's certainly better than not doing anything. Uh, the fourth, kind of in the middle, is giving to the poor before the request comes. Now we're, now we're getting better. So you see a need, you know somebody you know, needs a refrigerator or you know somebody needs uh, transportation and you don't make them come ask you for it. You simply provide it because you see the need. That's what God does for us all the time. He sees our need and he takes care of it for us. Uh, now we can ask for him as, as things from God and that's good, but isn't it great when sometimes things just show up in your life? before you even ever ask for them, it's a great blessing. So when we can give to the poor before any request comes to us, now we're starting to get at the heart of God. Even better, we give anonymously. Uh, but somehow the beneficiary knows who the giver is. There was an ancient tradition um, in Jesus' day where uh, people of wealth or people of honor uh, or great teachers, they would wear robes uh, with coins on them. and and it was well known that, you, that they could simply walk uh, through a town and any person in need uh, could simply grab a coin off of the, the hem of their garment um, and have what they need. And so even though uh, the benefactor wouldn't necessarily know them, um, and that's fine, they're, you know, they're being benevolent and they're doing that anonymously. Um, whoever takes it, they, there's not a relationship there, um, but the poor person knows who it is um, that they're receiving the gift from. Even better than that is when the benefactor knows the recipient, but the recipient does not know the benefactor. And so this is kind of like the secret Santa to where they, they see a need, they know what's going on, and they bless them anonymously. And so the person sees the need, they, they know the person in need of help and they choose to bless them. And that's really, really good. Uh, and if you ever, haven't ever had the joy of doing that, um, I hope you do. It, it's one of the most fun things you could do in your life. It's so fun to bless people um, and to know that you're making a difference in their life uh, without them ever knowing who it was. Um, it, it's, a great, it's a great feeling. And you'll be rewarded in heaven, God says. Seventh, and this is the one that Jesus 
uh, recommends, this is his approach, and that is that both the benefactor and the recipient do not know each other's identity. Uh, this was Jesus' approach. And this was actually commonplace in Jesus' day in the first century in the temple. So in, in first century Judaism and in the temple uh, rituals, the Jerusalem temple had such a system that the righteous would contribute what they could and the poor would take what they needed and no one felt ashamed. Uh, and as far as I can tell from what the scholars think, there was nobody monitoring the box to say, no, 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 you took too much or, or no, 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 we don't really think that you uh, needed that. It was simply those of us who could give in would give in and those, who, uh, those of us who had need, we could take what we needed. And, and there was an honor system there. It was in the temple. God was watching. It was all of God's anyway, because everything we have is from God. And that is what Jesus recommends. That all of us, uh, when we give in the church or in other places in our lives, we simply give because it's the right thing to do. Um, and we allow other organizations um, to distribute that or people to take what they need from that. Um, and we trust that God will make it right. And that uh, is a blessing to the world. And then finally, now you know a version of this. You may just not know that you know a version of this. Really, the highest level is to enter into partnership with the poor or to provide a financial base or safety net so that the person in poverty becomes financially secure, that they don't ever have to ask again. It, it's, it's kind of like the old saying about, you know, if you give a person a fish, uh, then they'll eat for a day. But if you teach a person to fish, you come alongside them and you teach them a trade or a craft or how to fish, then they'll, they'll eat for a lifetime. This is what we're talking about. And, and some of you are in positions, even right now today, where there are people you could come into partnership with and you could help elevate them out of poverty. That, that you know, you have skills, you have training, you have businesses, you have relationships to where you could actually change a person's life, not just for a day or a week or a month or two, you could change their destiny by really coming alongside them. Now, not that it's easy, not that it's quick, but this is really charitable giving at its best when we're changing people's lives by the power of God and generosity. As he pours into us, we pour into others. And all of this, friends, boils down to this. The concern is for dignity. Because here's the truth of the matter. The one who is generous today may be in need tomorrow. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't, you don't know. I mean, none of us know. Uh, we hope that we're not going to be in need tomorrow, but you might be on the other end of that. You just never know. Uh, and certainly people in Jesus' day uh, knew this. And so you were to be generous because it might be that you were the one that needed that generosity in just a few weeks. And here's the other thing that's really important as a spiritual matter and simply um, as a practical matter. And that is that everyone, even you, everyone has something to give. And when everybody gives something, needs are met, you know, concerns are raised, and everyone pitches in to help. Everyone. We have to teach our little ones what it is to be generous. We, we have to teach our teenagers and our college kids um, and even our young adults who are struggling what it is to care for other people. That's not just for the wealthy to do. It's a spiritual matter of the heart. And so one of the things, I, I know people get upset with me when I ask everybody to give because they're like, well, not everybody has the same thing. No, that's true. We don't all have the same thing, but we all do have the need to give and to become generous like our Father in heaven. We're generous because He is generous. That's what Jesus means when He says, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. We are to be like Him. And then Jesus moves on to prayer. And the thing we learn about prayer is this, that prayer should be focused on God, 
duh, right? Prayer should be focused on God and not on the one offering the prayer. Have you ever been at Thanksgiving or Christmas or Easter or family gathering or, uh, you know, an event in the community and the opening prayer, the invocation or the grace over the meal, um, you know, rather than saying, God, thank you for the meal and those who prepared it, there's like a 10-minute prayer that you can't keep up with and you, you're wondering like is this thing over like am I, my knees gonna buckle Jesus did not be like that don't be like that nobody likes that just pray just recognize God is there say thank you and move on with your life Jesus says, and whenever you pray right there, there's lots of people that, that pray so that everybody talks about them he's like no no when you pray right don't be like the hypocrites for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners so that they may be seen. That's why they're doing it. Not for God. It's for themselves. So that they may be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward. But then he says this. But if, whenever you pray, right, don't be like them. Be like this. He says, whenever you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who's in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. There's no place that you can go that God won't find you, even in your closet. So it's not a particular space that makes your prayer holy. It's God that makes it holy. You see, prayer does not require a holy place. Say that with me. Prayer does not require a holy place. God can make any place holy, any place, even your cluttered closet. So Jesus actually says it's important to pray, and we're going to talk way more about that next week in the Lord's Prayer. But for this week, let me just say this. Jesus criticizes two kinds of praying. Uh, the first is for those folks who just want to show off. Jesus says, don't do that. Nobody likes that. It doesn't help you, um, and God knows what you need anyway. So th- just stop it. Don't do that. So if you're tempted to pray and to show off to other people about how good a prayer you are, just don't. Just, just save it and just do it in your head. It'll be better for everybody. Now, the second thing is some people, when they pray, they're actually, not only are they showing off, they're trying to attempt to manipulate God. Now, I want to be really careful with this because some people have learned uh, set prayers that have been very helpful to them, and that can be beautiful. But the thing we want to make sure is that we're, we're invoking the Holy Spirit. We're asking God to be with us. We're recognizing that God's with us. We're not doing incantation. We're not witches and warlocks. We're not casting spells. We're not making God do something because we use Jesus' name. We're not forcing God's hand. Our job in prayer is to listen and respond to what God is showing us, not to try to get to, for God to do stuff for us. And so we have to make the, it's a very real spiritual difference between invocation, inviting and receiving and hearing, and incantation, where we're trying to make God or a God do something. Very, very different. So we don't show off and we don't manipulate God because you can't do it anyway. So Jesus says it like this. He says, when you are praying, right, not like the other people, when you pray, do not heap empty phrases, none of that incantation stuff, as the Gentiles do outside the Jewish faith. For they think that they will be heard because of their many words, right? If you say it enough, if you pray long enough, if you say it in this cadence, if you say it with this rhythm, maybe God will do it. No, no, no. So don't do any of that. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Sure he does. And Dr. Levine would add this. She says, Jesus is looking not only at the action but also at the motive behind it. Because again, God's looking at our hearts. Well, how do we take a step into this? Well, I want to offer you two options uh, this week as a way to start to training in the reign of God because uh, training is reigning and trying is dying. So I want you to train. I want you to have a plan about this week. And so action step one uh, comes from Dr. Levine's mom. This is basically what she said to her. She said, always 
be unfailingly kind or nice, even to people who are nasty. And you've come across those people. They're just always having a bad day. They're just, they're just nasty to people. You know, they're beeping and honking and always in a hurry and yelling at people. And she says, no, no, even them. We, as followers of Christ, I'm, I'm speaking to our community now, we are to be unfailingly kind, ridiculously kind for a world that does not understand it and doesn't know it and needs it desperately, especially those who are nasty. They, they need somebody to bless them. And you might be that person. And the second thing I want to invite you to do is to act as if you fully recognize that your enemy, my enemy, is also in the image and likeness of God. That there's, there's no human on the planet that doesn't have uh, the image of God within them. Uh, it may be marred, it may be disfigured, but deep inside of every mortal is God. God is there, the creator of all of his children. And with Christ as our head, as God as our Father, then we are to honor and bless all the brothers and sisters on the planet. That's our job. So act as if you fully recognize. Even if you don't, you, you act as if you do. You fully recognize that your enemy is also in the image and likeness of God. But that will take our best efforts, and that will take our community working together and praying together. So I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me. Holy Spirit, stir us so we dare not rest content with faith that leads to complacency and self-satisfaction. Drive us to give, pray, fast, and take other actions that make us more complete by showing love to and compassion for others and by bringing glory to you. Amen. And now with the confidence of the children of God, let us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.